Hello friends, it's the Midweeks. Chapter 8 of First Kings is coming your way. I'm going to actually do something I almost never do anymore, which is to break up this chapter. It's very long. It's over 60 verses, which is just a really long chapter. And so I'm going to uh, break it up into a smaller chunk and then a larger chunk. This chapter is um, the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and then an extended prayer from Solomon. And I wanted to treat that prayer in one large unit. And so it's not a complete break down the middle. It's a, more like a one-third, two-thirds break. But um, it's too long for me for one of these podcasts. So we're going to just deal with it in two chunks. And so as we're le- listening to this chapter, remember um, Solomon has finished the temple. He finished his palace in between that and took more time doing it. But he's finished the temple. And this is going to be the moment where God really blesses the temple by appearing in it with his presence, which is the sign that God is pleased with what's happened here and that he is indeed going to dwell with his people and use the temple as a place of his intensified presence. God is present everywhere, but God does reveal himself and Um, interact with his people by making his presence known and experienced more intensely um, or in different ways in different times and different locations and so he's going to come with his presence so that the people of Israel will have faith that the temple is being used by God as a way for them to know him love him and be loved by him and to be in a covenant relationship with him Verse 8, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 8. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel, before the king, before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. So this is the setup. The temple's done, and now Solomon has assembled all these leaders. So um, to come and be part of the Ark going from the tabernacle, which is in Jerusalem, um, up to the temple, which is a part of Jerusalem, but it's going from one location to the next. And I think there's a lot of stuff going on here. So this emphasizes the unitedness of Israel in this activity. So it's all the elders and from leaders from all the tribes and their father's houses. So this isn't a time of division and disunity, not like when David first came to uh, Jerusalem when the nation was uh, disunified or when he came to Hebron and there was civil war. This is a time of unity and it's a time of honoring the leadership and it's a time of celebrating what God has done in bringing up the Ark of the Covenant. And this, I think this is, we're meant to remember as well when David was trying to bring the Ark into Jerusalem in the first place. And remember the first attempt didn't go well. They put the Ark on a cart and uh, Uzzah died and so This is going to be a story of things going well the first time. Verse 2. And all the men of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Notice the seven again, which is a symbolic number of perfection, corresponding to the seven days of the week. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. So the fact that it's... um, It talks about all the elders being invited, then all the men come, so that this is like 
not an exclusive thing but everybody who wants to can come and all the elders came so this is a sign of this is a good sign they're invited and they all come it's a sign of unity not disunity they're not squabbling they're not fighting you don't have somebody not showing up to this because they're embittered this is a good thing excuse me i've got a bit of allergies this morning and so i feel a little plugged up and the priest took up the ark. So this is good, right? The ark's not going onto a cart. Solomon's learned his father's lessons. And the priests are the ones going to carry the ark in this uh, ceremony. Verse 4. And they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Okay, so there's continuity with the past. They're not leaving the tent of meeting and all that stuff that Moses and the people made back in the day. They're bringing it with. So this is a progression. This isn't an abandonment of the past. This is a progression and a fulfillment of promise. Verse 5. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with, sorry, before him, were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, beneath the wings of the cherubim. So, right, the temple is meant to be like a physical expression of spiritual realities, and the fact that there's this outer court, and then the holy place, and the most holy place, is symbolically meant to um, show a progression of holiness into God's presence and so god is the most holy thing and he dwells in the most holy place it's almost like a progression into heaven on earth in one sense on the outside it's just the regular uh unclean earth but as you progress in holiness you're actually entering into heaven on earth and so they're describing this ark of the covenant which is not god but because it carries god's words it carries the word of god on the two tablets it symbolizes God's presence because God relates to his people through covenant and through speech. And so this ark is going into the most holy place and the wings of the cherubim. So the cherubim are these guardian angels. And these guardian angels, again, are another symbol of the holiness of God. Like, excuse me, like angels are there to protect the holiness of God from the unholiness of people. Verse 7, for the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. And the poles, which were placed through the ark for carrying it, uh, the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside. And they were there, and they are there to this day. Let's press pause. So, um, the there to this day, day sayings appear every once in a while in the old testament stories obviously they're not there to this day now when i read it because there is no temple there and the ark has been more or less lost to history contra indiana jones and so it's not true now in the reading but the biblical authors under the inspiration of the holy spirit will regularly have a there to this day moment as a way of trying to ground their story in physical history i'm telling you a story you weren't there but if you go and look you can see the stuff i'm talking about is still there so it is a good sign that the writers of the old testament believed that they were writing history from god's perspective but it's a real history when they're going to talk in a second about the cloud of glory coming down um, they're not telling you some fable 
or some mythical epic. They're saying the glory cloud came down on the Ark of the Covenant, and you can see the poles if you're a priest there. You can go ask the priest to go and say, are the poles still there, the ones they were talking about in Kings? And the priest will say yes. But it's also interesting to think about how um, by the end of this book, First and Second Kings, the temple's going to have been ravaged, and as far as I know, the Ark's going to have been taken from there. So the books of first and second kings have like layers of history in it because at one point they were there to this day and then later on they aren't there anymore in the same united book so there is this sense of progression of history um, somebody wrote a portion of it and then passed away because this book covers you know centuries and so the latest author the latest prophet who's writing this thing is using material written by previous prophets and authors and the there to this day of verse 8 of chapter 8 i don't think applies at the very end of the book once the uh, the temple's been destroyed verse 9 at the very least sorry it definitely doesn't count once the romans have leveled the temple and it was never rebuilt verse 9 there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that moses put there at horeb where the lord made a covenant with the people of israel when they came out of the land of egypt all right so why are they talking about this now now this event is meant to be not just something cool that happened in solomon's day but as solomon says over and over again a fulfillment of promise and so when they talk about the ark being brought in they're going to emphasize again that these, the ark is carrying the tablets that Moses made at Horeb like 400 years ago. And this is a fulfillment of uh, God's promise to settle the people in the land that God's been working on, often with the people working against him. He's been working on it for 400 years. Sorry, my screensaver just went off again. There we go. Saving the world, costing the podcast. So this reference to Moses isn't just being historical, but has theological import, importance because it's just reminding us that God's been doing this for ever since the book of Exodus. God's been working on this project that's gone through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Samuel 1 and 2 and now Kings with a little bit of Ruth thrown in there too. Verse 10, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And this is such a pivotal moment in the history of God's people when the glory cloud, which is the same glory cloud that came and filled the tabernacle in the days of Moses, which we were just talking about, and that would land on the tent of meeting to talk with Moses. That same presence of God shows up at the temple when the ark is brought in, thereby putting God's seal of approval on what Solomon has built. Even though there's problems with it, even though Solomon's palace was too big compared to the temple, God in his grace is choosing to publicly display his presence entering the temple so that the people of God will have faith in him that they can come to the temple and be in relationship to him in worship. That's what's going on here. Verse 12, then Solomon said, oh, and uh, sorry, before I go on, 
And this is part of what was happening on the day of Pentecost when the church was gathered together in the temple, but not in the temple, as the church. And the glory cloud came down, not as a cloud, but as tongues of fire, and landed on the people, not the building. The same thing was happening. God was inaugurating his new temple through in the day of Pentecost, which is the people of God, thereby yeah, kind of putting the temple in the past so that when the temple was destroyed, the place of God's presence in the world was not destroyed because God had moved from the tabernacle to the temple and then from the temple to the people of Christ. Now, verse 12, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. This is a bit enigmatic to me. Um, what does it mean to dwell in thick darkness? I think it, again, is just kind of a reference to holiness, just the sense that unless God reveals himself and shines his light, he's unknown. And so he does dwell in darkness. He's mysterious. His ways are mysterious. But he does reveal himself. And so Solomon's looking at the Ark of the Covenant go back and back and back into this dark place, the Holy of Holies. Um, and so he sees that this I will dwell in thick darkness kind of fulfilled in the Lord, meaning that God's going to dwell in a holy place that people can't access by their own power or force because of God's holiness, but instead he needs to welcome people in, which is what he does in the priesthood, and that his presence comes out, which is what he does through the preaching of his word and by doing miracles in the presence of the temple. And so Solomon sees himself fulfilling God's will in building this house. Verse 14, Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. And so the king has this priestly role going on here. There can be some overlap sometimes. You can have some priests that act like kings. That would be uh, a Samuel at the beginning. Grew up in the in serving as a priest, kind of, but then became a judge. And now you have the king blessing in the people of Israel like a priest. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David my father, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. Okay, we'll stop there. So we've gone from connecting this event to Moses through the ark, and now we're connecting this event to the promises of God that he made to David. And remember, Kings has kind of been about David's lineage being handed on to Solomon, and now we're seeing promises to Moses fulfilled, and now promises to David being fulfilled. So this is about God's chesed, his covenant faithfulness being fulfilled. Verse 17, Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a house, but your son who is born to you shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father, and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay, so I don't even need to make comment here. Solomon is saying the point. This is all about the faithfulness of God to his word and his will. He's accomplishing it completely. And the presence of God appearing in the temple is all about God proving his faithfulness to Israel so that they would continue to walk in faith with him. 
Verse 21, this will be our last verse of the day. And there I have provided a place for the ark, which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so notice again, it going all the way back to Moses and the deliverance of people from Egypt. Solomon is seeing this event in a 400-year lens, 500-year lens almost, of the people of God being stuck in Egypt, God sending a deliverer, God making a covenant, God making an ark so that his presence is with the people through covenant, and that now this temple is the fulfillment of Moses, probably going back to Abraham. Abraham's promise fulfilled, Moses' promise fulfilled, David's promise fulfilled through Solomon building this house. Okay, so we'll pause there, but this is the heart of this uh, story celebrating the te temple being built. It really isn't about the stones. It's about the God who dwelled there and the fact that he is so faithful. And maybe in the larger perspective of kings, which is going to be about unfaithfulness of kings and a lot of uh, discipline from the Lord for the kings. They're just taking their time to remind everybody that God is faithful. He was faithful to promises to David and Moses over generations and centuries, and that the people of God ought to return to trusting the Lord and to turn away from idols, knowing that even in hardship and in some discipline, God is faithful to his promises and his covenant. And so we ought to be as well. And I think what's going to happen as we read together Solomon's prayers in the next podcast we're going to see that most of his prayers are about God having mercy on people who are in trouble or have sinned and so this is Solomon trying to make the temple a place of grace in the midst of covenant God is faithful but God's people need grace they need forgiveness they need kindness from the Lord and so his prayer is going to heavily emphasize Turning in the Lord, turning to the Lord for mercy in time of need. And we'll see that next time. Otherwise, be blessed, my dear friends.